ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. He was once the son-in-law of Indonesia's brutal dictator Suharto and a special forces commander who stands accused of human rights atrocities. But now, Prabowo Subianto is the front-runner to win next week's presidential election and his running mate is the son of the current president, Joko Widodo, who has served the maximum two terms uh, under the constitution there. So what would a Prabowo presidency mean for the country? Could it even pose a threat to Indonesia's fragile democracy? To discuss all of this, we're joined by Ben Bland, the director of the Asia... Asia-Pacific program at Chatham House in London and the author of a biography on Joko Widodo. Welcome. Great to be with you. This is the third time Prabowo Sobianto has contested the presidency. How likely is it that he's going to win this time? This looks like his best shot so far. Um, He's been gunning for it even before he was formally running for the presidency. So it's been probably at least two decades in the making. And all the polls suggest that he's likely to come out on top in the first round election on February the 14th. The key question is whether or not he gets over the 50% threshold, which would avoid a runoff election in June. And I think that looks hard. Uh, But certainly from all the polling we can see in Indonesia, which tends to be accurate, um, he's quite far ahead of the other two candidates. Only five years ago, it was Prabowo and Joko Widodo fighting each other for the top job. Is Joko Widodo actively backing him this time? Well, it's a kind of curious um, Indonesian political alliance. So Jokowi, as, as the Indonesian president is known, his son is the VP candidate for Prabowo. And Prabowo is presenting himself as the kind of continuity candidate who will carry on Jokowi's legacy. But Jokowi himself hasn't formally declared either way. But there have been quite a number of indications that he's quite happy with the arrangements as they are. And I think that reflects this kind of circularity of Indonesian politics, actually. Prabowo uh, backed Jokowi initially as governor of Jakarta a long time ago in 2012, uh, before they then faced off in these two very bitterly fought presidential campaigns. And now they're sort of coming back together again as Jokowi looks to secure his legacy and Prabowo looks to get the kind of mainstream boost that comes with the implicit backing of Jokowi, who's still one of the world's popular, most popular leaders right at the end of his second and final term. Joko Widodo's own party is, in fact, fielding a separate candidate. How how does that work? Who's this candidate? And how does his uh, perhaps backing of the opposition candidate work in that context? It is very confusing from the outside. Indonesian political parties are generally quite promiscuous, as are candidates. I mean, they actually have an expression in Indonesian, sort of looking for a vest. That's when someone wants to find a party to support their ambitions. So you see people jumping around parties all the time and parties often support different candidates and form coalitions behind different people. So it's kind of curious situation at the moment where there's a PDIP, which is the party Jokowi formerly is from, has another candidate called Ganjar Pranowo. For a while, um, Jokowi seemed like he might come out in support of Ganjar. Uh, But then he sort of formed this implicit alliance with Prabowo, which has caused some tension uh, with members of that party. But Jokowi has always had a kind of loose affiliation with the party. He's been a member of it, but he's always had this very strong personal brand. And as I say, he's not the only one in in Indonesia, um, you know, to kind of look through this sea of different political parties and find the best constellation to support his interests. In this case, even while he's not formally backing the Prabowo coalition. And I think 
you often find that different people are hedging their bets, really. Um, so we haven't seen the campaign break out into sort of open political warfare yet between the three candidates. It's almost as if no one quite knows what's going to end up. And they're thinking in the second round, maybe they don't want to burn all their bridges if there is a second round, because they might have to join up with one of the other two, can- one of the other two candidates who makes it through to the, to the last round. Wow, Indonesian politics, never a dull moment. Talk me through the actual ideas they have for the country. We've talked a lot about personalities, but what are their competing agendas? There's not so much hard policy difference between them. I guess the the key thing is that Prabowo is suggesting he's the continuity candidate. He's going to carry on Jokowi's legacy, he claims, of focusing on infrastructure, sort of increased handouts to to people uh, living in tough economic um, circumstances. I think the other two are suggesting they're offering something slightly different. They're saying they're going to try and put a focus back on rebuilding democracy, checks and balances. But when it comes to growth targets, when it comes to their development policy, it's really quite similar. They all have very sort of grandiose targets to boost growth, um, boost industrialization, boost job creation and not much detail about how they're actually going to do it. So it's really a difference of personality, of character. Um, and I think we'll, we'll have to see what comes out. But I, I don't think that's unique to, to Indonesia. I mean, in many countries, voters are deciding on you know candidates based more on the vibe and feeling than reading through manifestos. But typically, Indonesian elections are quite policy-like. But as I said, if we go into a second round uh, runoff where there's just two candidates, you may find that some of these kind of small differences get exaggerated uh, much more and the candidates might sort of try and play up the differences as they seek support um, in a kind of head-on-head race, if if that's where we get to. The polls are putting Prabowo Subianto in the lead, as we've said. Do voters care at all about his past? There have been these allegations he's committed human rights abuses. They have dogged him in the past. Are they still an issue? Increasingly not. That's partly a reflection of the very young electorate in Indonesia. So out of the more than 200 million voters, um, over half are under the age of 40. So many of those people would have you know, little experience of Prabowo when he was a, a senior general during the Suharto era before Suharto fell from power in 1998. So I think it's partly about the youth of the electorate. It's also because Prabowo has been around in mainstream democratic politics and even in government as defence minister for quite some time now. So he's had time to establish himself as a kind of legitimate player in the political system. Not everyone is happy with that, to be clear. Um, But I think with the passage of time, you know, he's been a presidential candidate and failed twice. And he's now been defence minister for five years. So I think, yeah, there aren't really many people who are focusing on that for now. But again, I think if it comes to a second round runoff, I I expect his background and probably the personality and background of whoever he's up against, if we get to a second round, will become much more pronounced and you might have a kind of much more heated sort of ad hominem campaign than we've seen so far. So given his own past as a military general in the Sahado regime, could he pose any sort of um, questions around the way he might operate? I mean, uh, uh, do you expect a more authoritarian approach? Prabowo certainly in his campaign are trying to present him in a different light as a sort of more cuddly grandfatherly figure who's who's matured with age. Um, I think there are definitely real concerns about his temperament, about his character. 
Um, certainly in past um, elections and in past political cycles, he's talked about democracy in Indonesia being too expensive, too messy, needing some form of more centralized rule. I don't think he's spoken explicitly about getting rid of democracy altogether, but I think there there is a real fear there. And it's one thing to sort of tone that down on the campaign. It's another thing, what you do when you're in power. And I think that's compounded by the fact that under Jokowi's watch, while he's been quite successful in sort of revving up the economy, building infrastructure, road and rail and bridges, etc., um, the checks and balances of Indonesia's democratic system have been eroded somewhat systematically. So Indonesia is still a democracy. Uh, there are still checks and balances, but they've been undermined. And I think people are are concerned about what happens when you pass that slightly weakened system on to someone like Prabowo. But I think in the end, one of the, the weaknesses and strengths of Indonesia's system is you have all these different parties and interest groups trying to form coalitions, trying to divvy up power. And while they can get together and form these big tent coalitions, that often just moves the fighting inside the coalition. And I guess the hope would be that if he does win, you know, he's maybe not able to just impose his will because the system is so complicated at the centre. And then you just have the fact of the you know, Indonesia being such a big country, so much decentralization, um, differences between the central government, provincial government, local city governments. So I think it would be quite hard in modern Indonesia to, for one person to impose their will in, in the way maybe it's happened in the past, because, you know, there has been a lot of water under the bridge of Indonesia's democratization since 1998. And it's not perfect, but democracies are always kind of battles between interest groups. And I think whoever wins, the struggle for kind of power and influence and checks and balances is going to continue. But there'll be a very different flavor if it's Prabowo compared to the other two. How very interesting, Ben. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Patricia. Ben Bland is the Asia-Pacific Program Director at Chatham House and you're listening to ABC RN Breakfast. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.